Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. An SOS note scrolled in desperation in a Chinese labor camp. An American woman finds it in a package from Kmart, publicizes its message, we're being tortured. The letter writer, now free, sets out to film the truth about life in China to tell his whole story. But can he outrun the secret police? And that is the premise behind this documentary film called Letter from Mazanjia. And we are joined today by the director of the film, Letter from Mazangia, and that would be Leon Lee. Leon, welcome to Film School. Thank you for having me. Thank you. I did a very cursory, very uh, broad description of what the film is about. Uh, feel free to go into more detail, but um, the, the main person we know, we get to know in the film is Sun Yi. And um, his story, he is the one who wrote the, the the note that was found by an American woman. We can explain more of that, but I'm very curious how you got into this project. How did you find out about this, this story? When uh, Julie's discovery became international headline back uh, in 2012, I also read it online, and I was immediately intrigued because as someone who had been following human rights issues in China for a while, the name... Ma Sanjia stood out for me. Ma Sanjia was one of the most notorious labor camps in China. To survive Ma Sanjia labor camp uh, would have been uh, a miracle. To be able to hide letters and send it out is just un- unbelievable. So I sensed that there had to be an amazing story behind it. Uh, I then contacted Julie Keith the recipient of the letter. I interviewed her uh, several times over the years. She was very helpful. Uh, But then the real challenge was to track down the letter writer, Sun Yi, which took me uh, about three years. Um, Because of my previous films, I uh, had developed a network of underground dissidents and journalists, so I just get the word out, and I almost forgot about it. Three years later, one day somebody said, I think I got your guy. And then we had this initial uh, conversation over Skype. Part of it uh, is in the film. And uh, it turned out that he had seen my previous work. So he trusted me. Uh, Then the only problem is I couldn't go back to China safely because of my previous films. Mm -hmm. And Sun Yi did not know how to use a camera. So we too have to pull this off over Skype. Wow. Okay. So that's that's sort of how you got into it, and and I'm just curious in in sort of finding Sunyi and establishing this uh, connection through one of your one of the people that um, contacted you. What was your level of concern that they themselves might be someone trying to draw you into a situation where you could be jailed or something along those lines could happen to you? Did you, how, is, was there, and without giving anything, you know, important away, but what was your, how did you know that you were, the person who contacted you was someone that you could trust? Because this feels like a, uh, a situation where um, up is down, 
you know, left is right. You're not quite ever sure where you go, where, what's, gonna, what's around the corner. Right. Thankfully, because of my previous films, I had interactions with different uh, kinds of people inside China, and uh, they provided me uh, sources before. Mm-hmm. And so in this case, the people involved are people I really trust. Okay. And uh, after all, I am in Canada. I am in a much safer place than the people inside China. Mm-hmm. So really, uh, most of the time, I was worrying about safety of the people involved who are, who are still in China. Mm. Okay. So what was the next step? And, how, and again, I, I, I want to be sensitive because I, I, I can imagine there are still relationships and connections in the making of this film that you have to be particularly guarded about. So don't, don't I mean, take me wherever you want to take me in this conversation. So the next step for you in, in getting in touch with Sunyi and, and all the rest of it, um, tell us a little bit about that process. Once we decided to, to, to make this film, I provided him with a list of gears he needed to acquire. Uh, we scheduled multiple training sessions over Skype um, so that he can you know, uh, start filming. Mm. And um, he would shoot something, um, compress it, encrypt it, and, and send them to me uh, online. I would review them, we would discuss again. And once in a while, when we have enough raw footage, he would uh, try to send me a hard drive. Mm-hmm. But of course, we can't use FedEx. Uh, China Customs might seize it any time. Mm-hmm. So we relied on my network to pass uh, the hard drive to me. Sometimes it took one month, sometimes two months. Uh, and once I have the hard drive in my hand, I would then get a password from Sun Yi. It was encrypted in a way that I had only one chance to uh, input the right uh, password, otherwise the uh, drive will be locked forever. Mm-hmm. So that was nerve-wracking. Yeah. So all in all, we had four hard drives, and uh, that's essentially how how we got the film done. Mm-hmm. So let's go. Let's talk about um, Sunye and his wife, um, and how he became the the center of attention or the object of attention by the authorities in China. Uh, what was it? What, what, what did he belong to, I guess? And, and what was his sort of situation where they felt the need to incarcerate him? Sun Yi was a practitioner of uh, Falun Gong, which is an ancient uh, spiritual practice in China. It was made uh, public um, in 1992, and uh, its core principles are truthfulness, compassion, and tolerance. It's it's almost like Tai Chi or or yoga, uh, but in addition to the physical exercises, uh, its followers also try to live their lives according to the three principles. So it, it was it was very popular in China. By 1999, there were over 70 million people to 100 million people in China practicing Falun Gong. And uh, often you hear very positive coverage from state media. Uh, I believe there was one incident, a Chinese official in Ottawa, Canada, uh, was holding a function and he was explaining to the uh, guests, if you really want to learn the essence of traditional Chinese culture, learn Falun Gong. Uh, So it was 
supported by the government. Everybody was was happy until 1999. Then President Jiang Zemin insisted a crackdown against Falun Gong. Now, at the time, it wasn't very clear why he would do that.、Uh, now, looking back, I think people have a much better idea.、Uh, there, there are probably multiple reasons, but the top ones are: number one, the、uh, followers of Falun Gong outnumbered the membership of the Communist Party,、mm. and even it has no political agenda whatsoever. The Communist regime、uh, considered as, as a potential threat. Number two, the very principles, truthfulness, compassion, and tolerance of, of Falun Gong, is something the party doesn't want to tolerate, because it functions on、uh, violence and propaganda. If、uh, a large population in, in China actually believe in the principles of Falun Gong, it、uh, it made their regime losing its ideological supremacy. Let's say,、mm-hmm. and. There's another reason I would say is the communist regime is fundamentally a atheism regime. So after it took power in 1949, it systematically destroyed all spiritual practices and religion.、Mm-hmm. And I was told even recently that China banned all previous、uh, translations of the Bible, and, and they issued a new version. I I haven't checked it out yet. But I suppose the translation is very different. <laughs> I would imagine you're right. So these are the, the reasons why they launched the crackdown. Initially, they thought they would get rid of Falun Gong within three months,、uh, but because of people like Sun Yi, they did not succeed, and the persecution kept escalating. It continued to today.、Uh, I think there was a report by the、uh, United Nations、uh, at one point. Fifty percent of prisoners of conscience in China are Falun Gong practitioners. Wow! Oh my goodness! Want to remind our listeners we're speaking with the producer and the director Leon Lee. He, the film is Letter from Masajan. Let's talk about Sun Yi because、uh, he is a, in the film. He is a man, a, a slight man. He's not a large, per, imposing person,、uh, but he is. About as resilient and brave as anyone I think you'll ever meet.、Um, he was, and this is the reference in the title letter from Mazanja. Is has to do with this internment camp. What would you call it? How it's a prison, but what what would you call、uh, Mazanja? Mazanja is a labor camp. Labor camp.、Um, <laughs> they they have、uh, hundreds of labor camps in China. Um, it was used to house petty criminals, but uh, uh, quite often、uh, political dissidents. And in, in the persecution against Falun Gong, labor camps、uh, became an important tool because you don't need a trial to send somebody to the labor camp.、Mm. All it took is a, a signature from uh, uh, police officials, and there is no opportunity for appeal. They can lock you up for、uh, up to three years. And they can also renew the sentence, so that's where、uh, he was sent. Right, and Mazenjo had a particularly terrible reputation,、uh, kind of considered to be the worst, if not one of certainly one of the worst labor camps you could be incarcerated at. Yes, indeed, it was known for its harsh treatment towards、uh, the detainees. 
many forms of torture were invented there, and the the guards and officials in Mazenjia were often invited to uh, other parts of the country to uh, teach their methods. So among the dissidents, uh, people would many of them told me they would rather die. Uh, than going to Masanjia labor camp. Based on the depictions that we we see in the film of what kinds of things were done to the prisoners, including uh, Sun Yi, is uh, yeah horrible beyond words and beyond. I can't imagine how he was able to withstand the torture that he was subjected to. It's uh, it's pretty it's it's heartbreaking and it's remarkable the resiliency of this man. So while um, Sun Yi is in prison at uh, Mazanjan, uh, he is he. I assume he was an illustrator before he arrived there, and he. What happened? I mean, did, a lot of the film there are animated sequences in the film that illustrate what happened to him and what was going on in his life. Let's talk a little bit about about his ability to sort of convey with uh, through illustration. Yes, I had uh, always, um, you know, been thinking about how do we recreate. Sun Yi's experience uh, back in Ma Sanjia labor camp. And um, it turned out uh, Sun Yi was a big fan of traditional uh, Chinese graphic novels since he was a little boy. And he often uh, practiced drawing on the margins. And later he became an engineer, so he learned drafting, I suppose. Um, and he once he just sh- showed me the sketches he did, um, he wanted to obviously remember um, so that, you know, he can tell people what happened to him. And uh, right then I decided we would use animated sequence uh, that based on his own sketches. Uh, so you can certainly see a graphic novel feel in the uh, animation. The idea would be uh, in the live action part, uh, we follow Sun Yi. Uh, we, we get to know his daily life, and in the animation part, uh, it's also based on his own drawings, so that there's a level of, of authenticity, hopefully. Yeah, it's it's well, I mean, it's very it really moves the film along, and and it's also uh, what's wonderful about it is the sort of humanizing. Uh, once again, a man who's been through what he's been through and his ability to express himself through art is it says a lot about him as as the kind of person that he is. And um, so it's terrific to watch, to to see that part of it. And also, for a lot of the film, where he is, he is our guide. I mean, it's his story, but he is such a, how warm-hearted and loving he is, despite everything that he, he's subjected to. Is, is that characterization, how would you characterize um, Sun Yun? Uh, that's also one of my uh, uh, biggest impressions. Uh, look, I, I've been in contact with him for several years, and when we finally met um, in person, I was—I I thought I knew him fairly well, but still, I was still impressed by uh, how thoughtful he was. He was always considering uh, other people. He was asking if if, if if it was too hot for the crew, if we have eaten, if there's anything he can do to help, and. Um, during the course of making this film, um, although that he was the one always in in the much much greater risk right. than me, but he was the one often encouraging me and telling me that it's going to be all right, things will work out. So this is a 
the most difficult film I've made so far. Yeah. But also the one that inspired me the most. Yeah. Well, let's let's use that as an opportunity to talk about some of your other work. You refer to it. You've won a Peabody uh, for some of your previous work. Let's talk about your your film um, your films that um, have garnered not only the acclaim but also the ire of the Chinese government. You've you've done films on human trafficking, on organ donations and or donations, organ thieves. I don't exactly. You've helped me out with some of the previous work that you've you've been a part of. Right. The, the one uh, the, the one the Peabody was uh, Human Harvest. It was about uh, forced organ harvesting of prisoners of conscience in China. Um, it turned out the Chinese government had been harvesting uh, vital organs, uh, kidney, heart, uh, cornea, skin, lung, uh, liver, from hundreds of thousands of prisoners uh, since, I would say, around 2000. And the practice continued uh, to today. Uh, initially, it was mainly for foreign transplant tourists, but because of international pressure, they gradually shift, uh, shifted to domestic uh, patients. Uh, so that was a film eight years in the making. Uh, we basically followed the two pioneers of the investigation, two Canadians, David uh, Matus and David Kilgore, on their investigation into the allegation. Uh, and, 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 of course, my goal was to um, make the viewer um, the investigator so he or she can look at all the evidence and uh, draw uh, their own conclusion. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that's actually uh, how I started making films because I thought it would be a great idea for people to uh, know this evidence and then uh, make up their own mind. But since then, and in, in the process, I've met uh, many people from China who have amazing stories, and uh, now it seems that, that that's become my niche, <laughs> yeah. and more and more people come to me with their stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, after hearing them, if, if the story is very good, on one hand, I'm so excited. On the other hand, I felt, oh... Now I have to do this. <laughs> if, <Yeah. laughs> if they entrusted me with their stories, yeah. now my obligation to tell them and tell them well. Yeah. Well, this is a beautifully told story, and um, in the sense of, it's uh, it's it'll make you angry. It's heartbreaking. It's uh, but it's also a re- reaffirmation of the human spirit as well. There are many things in this film. There are many different um, takeaways from the film, but. You first, as in the words of Peter Finch uh, from uh, from Network, first you got to get mad, and I think that this is a call to action. People who see this film, I I, I would hope, would be moved to um, make this something that they they want to talk to our federal officials about about what's going on um, in China, human rights violations that are taking place on a regular basis. It should be part of any discussion we have with China moving forward. And um, we have our own mess to clean up here in the United States as well. We certainly have our issues with human rights issues, but um, this is egregious. This is, and this is something that's on a state level scale. So it's something different, qualitatively and quantitatively. Um, so I, my hats off to you. I, one last question for you, uh, Leon Lee, and that is, uh, for your own safety, how how are have you been threatened? Have you do you 
do you take precautions? I sure, I'm sure you do in terms of your own safety. Uh, um, anything you want to share with us, please feel feel free not to if you don't want to. But I can imagine you've probably gotten you've been on the receiving end of some very threatening um, situations. Well, <clears throat> well, no, over the years, I'd say there there have been multiple interactions uh, for sure, um, but. Um, Really, whatever risks I face here, it's nothing compared to uh, the people in China, people like Sun Yi, who truly risked uh, his life to tell his story. And if people like Sun Yi can pick up a camera in China, I can pick up a camera here in Canada. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, if, you, if you think about it, maybe the, 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 the real effective way of eliminating the risk is to do more work and hopefully it'll uh, inside changes, real changes, yeah. and then uh, everybody will feel much safer. Yeah. Well, thank you for the film. Thank you for your work and also your continuing commitment to what you believe in and what you feel strongly about. It's pretty remarkable. Again, the film is called Letter from Mazanja, and it is a, um, a film you should see. You can see it, in fact, at the Lemley Playhouse in Pasadena. That's the Lemley Playhouse 7. It'll be screening all of this week, and um, I would assume that the film will also continue to play in other theaters moving across the country, but do we have a a schedule for our platform like iTunes or or Amazon or something coming up for the film? Yes, it will will roll out uh, theatrically in other parts of the uh, country, and then I was told in December uh, it will come to uh, digital platforms. Okay. Well... It's been a great honor, as well for not only as a, as a, an opportunity to talk to a filmmaker, but also as someone who is pushing forward on things that we all need to be more concerned about and more vigilant about. Um, that is the human condition. Thank you so much for for finding time to be here on Film School. Thank you for having me, Mike. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.